Hello and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we have been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on or by following hashtag QC weekly comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Edelson Shahini, investment manager based out of our Birmingham office. And this week, I am pleased to be joined by Richard Carter, a head of fixed interest research, and Chris Beckett, a head of equity research. Good morning to you both. Richard, if I start with you first, on last week's podcast, we touched on this being a big year for politics with a number of key elections to be held. It probably wouldn't be an understatement to say this may well be an important year for democracy on the whole, with roughly half of the world's population due to go to the voting polls. This includes the US, UK and India, but we already had the first one with Taiwan's election held over the weekend. How did that go? What are the takeaways from that and implications of the Taiwan-China-US relations in your view? Well, Dilson, I think it went largely as we, we would have expected. You know, the, the, the incumbent party, uh, the DPP, uh, won, uh, or their candidate won with a kind of reduced share, and I think sort of reduced share of the um, of, of the vote. But, but you know, clearly, uh, you know, markets were expecting their candidate to win. They are in favour of um, independence uh, as opposed to some of their opposition parties, but, but aren't going to do anything... Uh, I think precipitate or change kind of policy or do anything dangerous at, at this stage. Um, we did hear, you know, the usual rhetoric from the Chinese about, you know, what they might do if if Taiwan were to declare independence. But I don't think anything really is going to change um, at, at the moment. And the US, you know, again, Joe Biden sort of making it quite clear that they don't favour independence either. So I think more of the same, more tension, um, something for markets to focus on. But I really can't see... Um, you know, famous last words, but I really can't see the Chinese doing anything like invasion or blockade at this stage. I think the, the Americans are quite clear that they would uh, not look the other way if they did anything like that. So I think the sort of tension rumbles on. But actually, you know, if you look at the sort of recent meetings between Chinese and Americans, they're, they're trying to improve um, their relationship a little bit. And I don't think Taiwan at the moment, hopefully, is going to get in the way of that. Excellent. And I'll turn in slightly to a different uh, topic, I, I, I suppose, inflation, which very much remains at the forefront of conversations held, and it is a key driver for action taken by central banks, who are indeed tasked with managing this. We've seen inflation figures coming down nicely, albeit perhaps not quite at the desired pace and level. The latest US consumer price readings were released on Thursday, this being on the back of what was arguably a significant pivot from the Federal Reserve in Q4. Did this tell us anything new? And what has the reaction to date of markets been, Richard? Well, infl- like you say, inflation is coming down, uh, and it's a lot, lot better than it was maybe six or nine months ago. Uh, but we're not quite there yet. The journey's not yet over. We're not back to two percent, uh, and there's still concern that you know, with supply potential supply problems, given what's going on in the Middle East, you know, there's always a danger that um, getting back to two percent takes a lot longer than than we hope for, and, and so sort of labour markets are quite tight. Uh, as well. Um, I mean, the latest inflation data out of the States was a bit stronger than expected, CPI uh, 3.4% um, on the year. Although, you know, when you when you look at it versus other reports, you know, producer price inflation was still pretty low. There is some hope, um, given the details of the CPI report, that actually the Fed's preferred measure, that's core PCE, uh, will continue to come down in the next sort of weeks and months. So markets are still 
optimistic that we're going to get a rate cut from a Federal Reserve in March. Um, that does seem to me potentially a little bit premature. Uh, we really do need to see more data justify that. But uh, markets are still optimistic we'll get a rate cut um, in in the US uh, by you know before the spring, which would be great news, I think. Whether we'll get the same in the UK, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, inflation coming down here too, but uh, we'll find out a little bit more this week uh, how much. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Now, Chris, turning to you, if I may, um, and perhaps revisiting some merrier times over Christmas, the company updates from the likes of Tesco and Marks and Spencer were rather upbeat and highlighted a strong trading over the holiday season. This is obviously something you watch very closely. So what does that tell you? And with all the talk of a cost of living crisis, is this an indication of the resilience and health of the UK consumer remaining strong? Or is it perhaps more of an anomaly period within a bigger and perhaps even deteriorating trend that we're seeing? Thank you. Um, it was interesting to get the updates from the big supermarket operators. Um, Marks and Spencer's now their food business matters more to them than their clothing business, which is quite a turnaround uh, since I started following the stock. Um, so overall, good numbers from the big food retailers. Sainsbury's reporting a 7.4% like-for-like sales over the third quarter, which includes Christmas. Tesco 7.9% in the UK and M&S 10% for their UK food business. I think maybe that's giving a slightly more positive um, read than the entire market. All of the quoted sector are gaining a little bit of market share. So, the overall consumer isn't doing quite as well as those numbers would suggest. I think if you look at what we've learned, food is performing better or sales of food performing better than non-food, the more discretionary elements. I think consumers are prioritizing essential spending or sort of that slightly lower value Christmas treats. Um, Slightly above a mainstream price point is also doing well. So if you look at Tesco, their finest up market range had sales up 18%. And M&S's cheaper value offering also up strongly, up 17%. So that upper mid-market price point, consumers are doing okay and prepared to spend money if the offer is right. Um it's a competitive market. It's a low margin business. You've seen that through the proliferation of price matches against Aldi and Lidl, the German discounters, who are pretty much the price setters in the industry. So the sales were good, but profitability isn't increasing quite as fast as some investors would like. So Sainsbury's numbers, slightly disappointing. You didn't get a profit ex expectation upgrade. I think I think if we sort of step back from the individual companies, the cost of living crisis is still very real, but it's not quite as acute as it was six or nine months ago. Asda helpfully sponsor a little bit of economic analysis that we see every month that tries to track what that means for the average family. And the average family, two people working um, when so two incomes, uh, once they've paid their bills and their taxes, their net income has been increasing for the last eight months after a period of quite significant contraction. We've not made up yet for the cost of living crisis. So net net disposable income isn't buying people as much as before the crisis, but it is on an improving trend. 
And that's a result of wage growth being above inflation. Richard um, talked earlier about the decline in inflation rate. And inflation declining is a good thing. But um, for most people don't actually understand the difference between declining inflation and declining prices. Things on average are not getting cheaper for consumers to buy. The inflation rate is going down and wage growth above that eventually will make people feel richer, but they're not going to see the prices that they pay declining. It's still quite unequal. If we look at the sort of upper end of the income spectrum, people who are earning more are doing better, getting rising disposable income. But it's still very tough. The bottom 20% of consumers are still um, suffering declines in their real disposable income. So it's not easy for everybody and it's not improving for everybody. I think Overall, what we really learned about the UK economy is as long as the employment situation remains as positive as it does with relatively plentiful jobs, relatively low unemployment, pretty good wage increases. And as long as the Bank of England keep doing their job and manage inflation down back towards their target range, you'll see those living standards gradually improve. And that will only benefit the retailers that we invest in. Great insight. Thank you, Chris. Um, and we've had the onset of the latest quarterly corporate earnings season, which is now truly sort of kicked off. Um, in fact, with JP Morgan announcing another set of bumper results. So it's still early days, but has this effectively set the tone for what's to come? Um, what are the expectations heading into this corporate earnings season, Chris? Um, I and the rest of our analyst team are going to spend the next few weeks poring over company results. That pretty much started with the US banks or some of the largest US banks reporting on Friday. I'm not sure why, but US companies accountants managed to produce their financial results quicker than European companies. So US banks, um, we had JP Morgan, as you said, um, very good numbers. Some of it's down to the nature of the way the economy has moved. So if you think about a bank's profitability at its simplest form, their profits are the difference between what they can get away with paying you in interest on your savings and what they can get away with char charging you in interest on your, your mortgage. As interest rates have gone up, it's easier for banks to increase that gap. When things go down towards zero, they can't pay you a negative interest on your savings or not in any normal situation in any normal country. Um, so as interest rates have gone up, that spread has increased, which has increased the profits of those banks. In fact, management of JP Morgan think that that might have gone a little bit too far and may come back down in future quarters. But the profits that they reported were very strong. As one of the best capitalized and one of the strongest U.S. banks, they um, navigated the regional bank crisis, if you remember back to last year, relatively well. In fact, they bought First Republic to strengthen their position uh, very cheaply. Um, it wasn't guaranteed it was going to look cheap uh, six, nine months later, but using their strength and being encouraged to by regulators in the states they stabilized the u.s banking system and increased the size of their business at a good price so um 
Overall, generally positive for the banks and particularly good for JP Morgan. To temper it slightly, we also had results from Bank of America and one or two management decisions at that bank weren't quite as positive as, as JP Morgan. We still think it's undervalued, but not quite as well managed, not worth quite as quite the level of a premium to the average bank's valuation. If I expand it to look at the whole of the fourth quarter's results, um, on average, it should be quite good. The market expects about um, 4% uh, earnings growth. And when we're talking about earnings, we're talking about earnings per share. So the profits um, of the, the companies are generating. 4.3 is a reasonable number. It's a little bit of a decline on Q3, but it's much better than the negative numbers we saw for the first three um, of the first part of last year. Um, things should accelerate from here, but it's quite unequal. Um, if you look at what's going to drive that positive number for the first fourth quarter, it's largely the technology sector and tech related names in media and retail, the internet retailers, um, rebounding uh, to a point where when we look at it on a year on year comparison, they had quite a weak period a year ago and it will look a lot better than average as a much more normal period for them. So if I look at the year as a whole, technology companies should get good profit growth. Cyclical companies um, are still in an earnings recession. Everything that Richard was talking about, about the economic cycle and the need for interest rate cuts, we're only going to have those interest rate cuts if central banks around the world see their economies slowing. And if those economies slow as central banks would like to see, that makes life difficult for cyclical companies. It's not necessarily bad for their share prices because as investors, we can look through that cycle to the point where monetary authorities, those central banks cut interest rates and conditions improve for those cyclical companies. Um, between, between those two extremes, more defensive businesses should see more modest earnings growth. So quite a lot of devil in the detail, but overall, on average, looking forward for a reasonable earnings season. Thank you, Richard and Chris, for those great insights and to all of you for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? We'd love to hear from our listeners. So please, a review to the show now, wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Quilt To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quotachieviot.com where you can read the accompanying markets overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Talking of upcoming events, I am pleased to confirm our annual Advisor Roadshow is back and this year it will focus on politics, people and planning. Financial advice in 2024. During the roadshow, we will take a deep dive into the domestic and global political environment, the impact on markets, vulnerable clients, building relationships, and the wider family and clients, and how all of these can be tackled with expert planning. Our guests include the BBC's Clive Myrie, the Times journalist Oliver Kahn, former MP Peter Duncan, and Sky News's island correspondent Dr. David Blevins, and our own technical specialist, David Denton. To reserve your place, head over to the events section on our website where you can register online and we hope to see you there. Finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? 
simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, Chris, for your time and all of you for listening. See you next time.